Hello and welcome to Inside the Therapy Room. I'm your host, Sam Sellers. I'm a registered therapist, a wife and a fur mama, and I am passionate about breaking down the barriers and stigma attached to therapy. I want to begin by honouring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. Today, Jane is on Wongo land and Sam is on Gundungurra land. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations people. We must always remember that the land below our feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is a little bit different. Today I get to talk about my niche, religious trauma. Before I tell you about my guest, let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm currently living and working in Windy Goulburn in New South Wales in my private practice anchored counselling services. I am equal parts professional and compassionate with a dash of sarcasm and humour that make the therapeutic journey even more relatable and enriching. I also have an incredibly cute and furry co-therapist, Naya. She is a sweet and intuitive cavoodle who loves hugs and kisses. I specialize in three main areas, relationships, the LGBTQIA community, and today's topic, religious trauma. I work from a trauma-informed and lived experience stance, and I understand the profound impact that religious experiences can have on individuals. They had them on me. And I am here to provide an accepting and non-judgmental space to explore your inner world. I will be releasing my new workbook, Embracing Queerness and Faith, early 2024, which I am hopeful will bring an internal sense of authenticity and freedom to many. I have asked Jane Kennedy to join me today my new friend and fellow therapist. Jane is a Sydney-based counsellor. She has lived experience of religious trauma and is committed to supporting people as they leave church and or faith. She brings language and framing for the complexities of religious trauma to the counselling space, and together we have begun to create a network of other Australian and New Zealand therapists to broaden the knowledge among those working with affected clients. Jane has written her story in an ebook form, The Sentimental Non-Believer on Loving and Leaving God. You can find that on her website. Her course, Freedom from Religious Trauma, will be available in late 2023. Tune in to hear us share about what religious trauma is, about working with those who have lived through it, We share a little bit about our own stories and the impact on the queer community, what it's like inside our therapy rooms, and what myths we would love to smash about religious trauma. We hope you enjoy joining us inside the therapy room. Welcome, Jane. How are you going? Good. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. This one is going to be good fun, and I say good fun in that it is not necessarily what will come across as a fun topic, but it's good fun for us to chat about. This one will be a little bit different, I guess, in terms of structure that the other episodes have had. So today we're chatting about our niche, which is religious trauma Mm. and everything that sort of falls under that gamut which is wide and complex and multifaceted. But let's start with how we met because we are fresh friends. (laughs) So how about you sort of kick us off with how we met? Yeah, sure. So earlier this year, I was thinking, I honestly think I could count on one hand the amount of therapists working with religious trauma or spiritual abuse or in the space where people you know, have left church or walked away from God and struggling, I really think I could count the amount of therapists in Australia and New Zealand on one hand. And so I actually did that exercise and I think there was about six or seven. And so I went and did a bit of a search through some of the counsellors you know, in Australia, the, the the Facebook groups and things that we're all a part of, the support groups, which are fantastic. They're such good networking spaces. And I found you. 
And so I got in touch and, and said, hey, <laughs> let's be friends. <laughs> and, um, and we've done a lot of hours of talking and we've, um, I guess, shared our stories and the way that we work with clients and the areas of this big, big topic that we're passionate about. And, and since then, we've started a um, religious trauma therapist resource group in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm really excited to be broadening that base of therapists who are working in this area. And I think there's about 45 that have joined that group now. So, it's, yeah. It's a mixture of, it's, um, yeah, a good mixture of people who are already working in that space mm. and people who are wanting to learn more about that space and being able to recognise some of the things that might show up in, in clients. Um, mm. And in Australia... Otherwise, Sorry. would have noticed. That's yeah. right. And in Australia, New Zealand, it, as we've you know talked about um, with the group as well, it, the the situation, the context is so different. Yeah. The the religious landscape in Australia is so different to North America or even the UK. Yeah. And we have our own um, we have our own way of of thinking and talking about church and God and religion, and it really deserves its own focus. Yeah, I think whilst we sort of can see the impact that religion has on politics, it doesn't have the same intertwined notion that it does over in the US. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even just things like the language is different. You know, you always tend to say we don't even use the word evangelical. Mm. Which very often it's yeah. it tends to be Pentecostal or, or charismatic. Charismatic, or yeah. yeah. So I think even just having language that people relate to more that speaks to their experience is, is sort of adding to that collective shared experience over on this side of the world. It's much more specific. Yeah, and as, as we know, there is just so much need and people that are looking for yeah, somewhere to go to, to be able to process it. I, I sort of decided to to pull Jane on for this episode because I didn't want to be sitting here chatting with myself. It's much easier to have a conversation and, you know, the more people that can get into the rooms of helping, uh, of getting help for this area, the better. Tell us a little bit about what religious trauma is. Sure. So if we pull it back a bit, I guess trauma yeah. is anything that overwhelms our ability to cope. So it's a response to an event, um, something happens and it's overwhelming, it's more than we can handle. It could be a one-time event, it could be an ongoing inability to be anchored in safety. And so a trauma response is not the thing itself, it's what happens inside us as a result of the thing that happens to us and it's an inability to be anchored in safety. So religious trauma then <laughs> is the inability to find safety within a belief system, a faith context, and or a religious community. And again, it could be the result of a, a one-time event. And there's certainly, you know, recent in recent years, we've heard of so many one-time events through the Royal Commission into um, sexual abuse in institutions, religious institutions, or it could be an ongoing exposure to unhealthy or toxic beliefs and practices. It could be the disconnection that happens from um, the pain of leaving the community. It's it's super complex, but it's it's trauma that has, I guess, a religious a religious foundation or a religious root. Yeah, yeah. I love. Is it Gabor, Gabor Mate? Mate. Yeah. Yeah. He says that trauma is what happens inside of you, not what happens around you and yeah. so it's I think it's important that people make that distinguish between the difference because abuse is not the same as trauma even though they often get used interchangeably they are different but there is um a what's the word trendy <laughs> let's go with trendy there is a trendy terminology that tends to get thrown around um in terms of this space and that's deconstruction or reconstruction and I think it is a, a little bit different to religious trauma. I think it tends to, from what I've found in people that I've worked with, it comes from 
there being a disconnect with what they were believing. Suddenly something has happened again as a one-time thing or something ongoing that has caused them to go, hey, maybe I need to look at this a little bit differently. And so deconstruction gets... It's a very Instagrammable word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of, Yes, <laughs> there is a lot of people on Instagram, on TikTok who are talking about deconstruction. Um, but whilst it is, you know, it might be social media trendy or um, things like that, it's a real experience and it can often be a quite a painful experience for people to start essentially consciously dismantling their belief system that for Mm. some they might have had their whole life and so uh, you know that doesn't necessarily come out of something that would be considered traumatic but the process of deconstruction and what that entails and the impact that that can have on your family on your community your friends that process of deconstruction for some people is traumatic. So whilst they are, they can be one in the same, they do have different facets about them. And deconstruction, you know, doesn't look the same, I think, here in Australia as what it does in the US. I think the same sort of thing, it just looks a little bit different. The, you know, the way that it's spoken about is a little bit different. And I think I I refer to religious trauma in, I guess, the way I write. And as you know, I've got a um, an online course that I'm developing at the moment and I refer to religious trauma. I feel like the naming it as trauma, it, it locates it firmly within that space. Yeah. It's something that was overwhelming. It was too much, too soon, too hard. We didn't cope. But often we hear spiritual abuse, we might hear church hurt, um, adverse religious experiences, you know, the pain that comes from leaving a church community. There's lots of different terms for what is essentially the same thing. And I think whatever whatever lands for people is okay. <laughs> for me, I frame it as religious trauma. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I guess people might be thinking, okay, well, what does that even look like? So, you know, what what are some of the things that might get that response for some people and we know that it looks different for everybody and what might be traumatic for one is not necessarily traumatic for, for another, but there can be some common threads. Mm. Let's start with that. What might be some of those common threads? I think the common threads can be, it often starts with doubts and questions yeah. and cognitive dissonance, you know, so maybe there's a leader or somebody that you really respected who turns out to have been, you know, sexually abusive mm. or there's been unethical practices or financial misappropriation or other dodgy stuff going on and, and that kind of rocks your world a little bit and the foundations might start to shake. And then, you know, there may be, you might witness things happening to people that are not okay. There might be exploitation of Bible college students, for example, or, you know, volunteers, or people are not treated well. In fact, they're treated really badly. People can have a sense, and this is certainly true for me, that their belonging to that community is transactional. So I'm only valuable here while ever I make a contribution. And if I'm if I'm not here, I'm I'm not visible. You know, if I leave, it's as if I was never there. And that can be really, really painful um, when you realize that a place that you have given your time, your money, your energy, you've, you know, raised your kids, you've met your partner, your best friends, your family's there. You know, I don't know how many times I have heard you have to be planted in the house of God to flourish. And so you plant yourself deeply, firmly rooted there, but really that belonging was only ever transactional. So it, it can be those sort, those start, you know, you can start to have those sorts of, I guess, realizations or the lights start to go on. I think one of the first things for me was the the concept of hell just became really, really traumatic, like literally traumatic. Yeah. The, the pain of that, the fear would become overwhelming, not just for myself, but for people that I loved. The idea of a literal hell became something I could no longer countenance. The idea that my my LGBTQIA plus friends, you know, couldn't be themselves, the truest version of themselves and the pain of, of you know, deconversion practices and the the pain of not being able to marry your partner in the same place that 
you know, other people can marry their partner. There's, I mean, there can be so many different things. There can be, you know, a person that is, is you know, groomed by a minister. There can be the, the gaslighting, the spiritual bypassing that happens. There are so many reasons where people start to just feel unsettled and the foundations just start to give way. And so then once that happens, you then go... <gasps> Yep. So how do, what do I do now? You know, like where do yeah. I belong? Where do I fit? If I don't belong here, then, you know, where is my community? Where are my people? Is God even real? Yeah. And it's like when a kid finds out that the Easter bunny is not real, they're like, wait, what about Santa Claus? You know, yes. so it's like everything, all the threads just start to get tugged yeah. on and the whole thing unravels. Yeah. yeah. I can resonate with the hell conversation and concept. One of the first things that I started to sort of unravel my validity, I guess, around the Bible as a holy scripture was the concept of predestination and Mm. that I just, there was just something about the idea that, you know, we are all predestined one way or another to heaven or hell. And I sort of went, well, then what on earth is the point? Like, what is the point of everything in regards to that? And that was a real turning point where I was like, that's pretty shit, to be honest. Like that's a really shit concept. And so, you know, I guess, you know, conservative or rigid binary sort of thinking is another strand as to what, can cause those questions and that doubt and often in an environment where questioning and doubting is seen as a weakness and and seen as somehow not allowed because you are then you know not strong enough you're sort of there is that concept that questioning is is dangerous but the the dissonance that happens for queer people who grew up in the church or who were in the church is probably one of the most painful things that I have ever had to sort of wrestle with internally and still wrestle with internally because that doesn't just go away. The ability for people, for doctrine, for scriptures to and and rituals and belief systems and all of that that comes under the banner of of organized religion for that to completely rupture someone's sense of self is excruciating i think it's a, this is probably a good point to sort of say you know jane and i specialize in this area because we have lived it as well This is not something that we just sort of opened up a book and went, hey, this looks interesting, let's do that. We sort of, you know, in the same way that in a lot of the, uh, you know, these chats that I've been having, people's specialisations tend to come organically out of your, your own lived experience. For us, it is no different. But I viscerally remember I sort of, you know, had to tell the elders of my church that I was dating a woman which did not go down, suffice to say, very well. But I remember having essentially been kicked out of the church and about six months later sort of coming back after moving away for a bit was just, you know, I still at this point did not have a bad relationship with church despite that. I think I was very much in a little bit of denial, (laughs) but you know, I very much remember coming back to visit my family. We were going to go to church um, that Sunday to visit people that I still very much cared about and was um, told quite literally that I was not welcome and that if I was to show up that I would be heaping judgment and unhealth and sickness not only on myself but on everybody in the church because I would be tainting the whole lot of people by just walking through those doors. And Mm. and I thought, oh, that's strong. You know, it is just like the, the fierce hate. You know, there is a really, you know, there's the saying that there's nothing like. There's no love like Christian hate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But you just, you know, you hear about stories and you sort of know that Christians can be incredibly judgmental and and have strong opinions about things. But until you're on the other end of that, you don't quite realise what that hate 
feels like. Yeah, it's, I remember thinking that it was a little bit like having one foot on either side of the Grand Canyon and just feeling like someone was just like ripping me apart straight down the middle. And the pain, the pain and the grief that, that came was just overwhelming. Yeah. And so, you know, there, the way that it presents is very different for everybody, but I think the grief is that invisible thread that pretty much everybody, regardless of the reason why you left church, what happened when you're at church, the grief that comes is that invisible thread that connects everybody. I've not met a single person who has either done their process of deconstruction, whether they have left the church, still are a part of the church, Christian, not Christian, anything in between. I've not met anybody who has not experienced a sense of grief Yeah. Um, through that. So, yeah, I think that's probably one of the, most potent threads that sort of connects everybody is that it was for me absolutely yeah. the, the grief of losing the community yeah. of losing the the magical kind of disneyland thinking that i grew up with yeah. of that this is this kind of amazing perfect place and wanting so badly for it to be a certain way and yeah. also the church I grew up in was big and flashy and successful and shiny lights and amazing music and all of that, well-known leaders all over the world, like all that kind of thing. And so when when that starts to kind of unravel and you start to see, it, it, it's like that scene in The Wizard of Oz where she pulls back the curtain, the dog pulls back yeah. the curtain. And Dorothy's just like, whoa, (laughs) you know, and I think the closer you get to church leadership, the more you see that that is, you know, that that, that there's a little guy kind of just making it all happen. But that was devastating to me to start to see the chinks in that armour. I've been part of three churches over a course of maybe 30 years uh, or maybe 25 years. And each one of those churches, the closer that I have come to the the core of the leadership, quite honestly, the uglier it's been. And that was devastating. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't see a lot of it at the time either. And the more I look back on it now, I just think, oh. And you develop a critical mind, you know, you start to think differently and see differently and have experiences outside of the bubble. And then there's that grief of, oh, how could I have been so stupid? You know, and you feel dumb, you feel duped. You just think, how how could I have been a part of that with my time and my money? But But we want belonging and we trade just about anything for belonging. Yeah. So I think there's a grief of that. And then for me also after leaving church, I still maintained my faith. But then after a time, I just found I couldn't. I just found that the label Christian had too much baggage and that it was too connected. My The way that I had known God was too connected to my experience of those churches. And so then I grieved God. There's times now when I still feel that sadness. Yeah. I still just go, oh, I lived with this intimacy, mm. you know, that 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 sense, that being that is just so close. And I would, I grieved that as I have grieved, you know, a pet or a loss of a friendship for, you know, like it's real grief. Yeah. It was my whole worldview. And um, I did some, some study into religious trauma recently and read a paper by Michelle Panchuk and she, it, she talks about the shattering of the self and that, I experienced that. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because I think the thing for me, it, it's not when people do dumb shit, <laughs> you can you can forgive it. You can work yeah. with it. If yeah. there is there's not much that somebody, you know, could do that you wouldn't be able to work with. Yeah. If there was acknowledgement and honesty and transparency and a and sense responsibility. of responsibility. Responsibility, yeah. accountability. I messed yeah. up. That shouldn't have happened. I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. We're going to rethink this whole thing. We're going to do everything we can to make this church a safe place. We're going to open up our books and show you our our finances, like whatever it is. Yeah. But I think the thing in each of the three churches and in all the stories that I've heard from so many other people, so, so many other people, is that pain of when they double down and you feel like you've been gaslit Yeah, and it's, there's no sense of responsibility and there's, you know, they're being persecuted or it's, it, 
you know, you just don't understand the full story or, or whatever. But yeah, there's just these trails of destruction in the wake of those sorts of leaderships, the leadership and that sort of leadership and those sorts of churches. Yeah. Know? And it's it's devastating for people. Absolutely. The the blindness of of some leadership is astonishing. But it, it you know, it can go even further in that they rather than accepting responsibility, they don't just double down on it. They can actually make it your fault. Yeah, that's right. Somehow, you know, them mistreating people or, mis, you know, appropriating finances or whatever it is, is somehow your fault because you have hate in your heart or, you know, the devil's got his claws into you or all of that sort of, you know, pseudo-spiritual language that makes it the victim's fault. It makes it your fault. Crazy making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so then not only are you questioning them, you start to question you. And as soon as you start to question you, then it starts to unravel even further because then you have, you know, that sense of self-trust. Shame. Yeah. Deep, deep shame. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that something that we have often spoken about, and I'm sort of going to hand the mic to you in this regard, because we've often talked about it is the, the visceral anger that is, is felt throughout people, particularly people who have, who have left the church is huge. Mm. Uh, But I think there is also Um, And this is often where our conversation leads, which is that that anger just sits there and it doesn't Mm. go anywhere. And that anger can turn into cynicism or ridicule or mocking. And we sort of go, how does this help me? How Mm. does this help anybody else? How is this any better than the hurt that other people are inflicting? Yeah. And I think it's why, I felt so strongly earlier in the year about creating the sorts of resources that I needed to heal once it all started to, you know, unravel around me and to, to find the, you know, the healthy therapists working in this space and to create more and more awareness because what I, it took, I think it took me 10 years to really come to a place of feeling at peace and feeling free and feeling settled in myself. But over that, the course of that time, there was nothing. And even in the the research I was just talking about, I did a, a full literature review and there's really, there's not a lot of empirical evidence either. Yeah. There's not a lot in the academic space. There's more and more coming up, but, but, but wherever you look, there's, there's not a lot out there that really supports people to actually reconcile a lot of this and to be able to process and manage their anger and to to know what to do with it when it just is so completely crazy making and i wrote i wrote my story of coming out of it last year i set aside some time to just kind of space it all out and one of the things I was writing about is you know often we want to kind of flick our hair dramatically in the wind and throw a match and walk away like in the movies and just burn the whole damn thing down you know like you just want to see it burn yeah and there's just it's infuriating you know and the the one or two people that you have maybe that you can kind of just completely let loose and just say whatever you're actually thinking and feeling you know you can you can create a storm of drama around it you know and the the anger is real and the Mm. anger is valid and it's an actual human response to being treated like shit (laughs) and to being seeing other people abused and exploited and for feeling foolish that you were part of something and that you helped prop it up for so long so that I will never begrudge somebody their anger or their rage at wanting to burn it all down. But I think the thing is we can't live there. We can't stay in that place. We have to feel it. We have to allow it to work its way through our bodies. We have to know where does it show up in my body? Where am I feeling it? Is my neck tense? Have I got indigestion? Am I getting migraines? You know, is my back sore? Like where am I actually feeling this? How is it affecting me? in an embodied way and then how can I also process it in an embodied way and I have stomped through the bush I have 
I, I don't run, Sam. Oh. But like I, on my walk sometimes, I'll just run for like 100 metres and just, you know, oh. I'll ride my bike really fast. I'll oh. do whatever I needed to do to yeah. process that anger. But I think on social media I, I, I see a lot of that stuff. And I, I have a giggle sometimes. Yeah. You know, like you, you watch some of the memes. They're funny. Yeah. But we can't. I've also had to unfollow a lot of it because yeah. we can't live there. Yeah. You can't live in that space of just constant, particularly I feel uncomfortable when it is pulling people down and, and mocking people. Yeah. I think there's a difference yeah. between holding people to account mm. and and being actually, you know, critical. Yeah. So I think I it's a nuance. It's a dance for me still yeah. when I feel angry. You know, how do I process it in a healthy way? Mm. And how do I get on, how do I move to the other side of that anger and be able to protect my peace? Yeah. Because I can't control the shit show mm-hmm. I can't control a lot of the stuff that's going on you know and we're seeing mega churches imploding and we're seeing all kinds of things coming out in recent years yeah. all over the place we have no control over any of it and all we do have control over is I guess how we protect and tend to our own hearts yeah and find freedom mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I also, you know, follow a lot of those accounts and I think for me I need to balance that. I need to balance those sort of funny, humorous posts with content that is helpful for mm. me as well because if that's your only input that's coming in, it changes your output it yeah. changes the way that you respond to it. It change. You're not actually moving. You're just. It's like you're s- like that game stuck in the mud. Mm. Like, did you ever play that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it just reminds me of like that game where you're like stuck and you can't move, mm. and you're just waiting for somebody outside of your control to release you from that position and and you can't do that you need to Mm. take control of what you can control and that's the information or the messages that you are receiving inward because until you do that you are just stuck in that same cycle you're just Mm. on that hamster wheel that you said that you wanted to get off or that you're so desperate to get out of something's got to change for that to happen which I think is a really great transition into the conversation around what is it like in the room for somebody who is exploring some of this. And I think you've already touched on a way that we both work, which is that you cannot avoid the physiology, the physical reaction and sensations and the way that trauma shows up in the body. I don't think you can avoid, I don't think you can talk about religious trauma and not talk about the way I don't think you can talk about any trauma to be honest without addressing the what that looks like physically for you whatever we feel any emotion we feel yeah we experience it in our bodies yeah it's not happening somewhere else (laughs) and I think that that's a really hard concept for people who who are not in the therapy world to get Mm. I sort of describe it as a little bit like people sort of get the concept of muscle memory, like you haven't Mm. done something for years or you haven't heard a song for years, but somehow you just know the words off by heart. I find that with Spice Mm. Girls music. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, it's I think it's a hard concept for people to to understand if they've not actually started with it. Yeah. No, I think I think it can be as well. But the way that you can heal through somatic or bodily or embodied, you know, exercises is so powerful. I think also when you think of trauma as it can be a bit of a an overused term that doesn't really have a lot of meaning. <laughs> oh, I'm so traumatised or whatever. But I think it, if we think of trauma, it can be a worldview. It can be, it can live in our, in our psyche or in our, our bodies, in our person as a fear, mm. as a a way of you know seeing and and thinking and believing and it can be debilitating it can stop us from moving forward it can hinder our relationships and so it's 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 complex (laughs) absolutely Yeah. yeah and I think you know particularly with religious or spiritual trauma or anything in this sort of world 
I think you can't avoid the spiritual realm just because that's hurt you or something in that world has hurt you or Mm. has been traumatizing. It can't be avoided because it's the part of you that you sort of, I think it was one of the things that I was really afraid of was sort of, I don't want to talk about my spiritual life because my spiritual life holds a lot of grief at that Mm. you know I just baggage yeah 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 and I was so afraid of it I was like I can't I need this is what's caused so much pain I'm not looking at that I can't look at that it's that's terrifying but you can't avoid it Mm. (laughs) you can't avoid it because part of you know managing this I think is developing a sense of you know we all have a spirit and and what we how we hold that is different to the next person but i think it's a part that needs to be looked at and that takes a lot of wrestling and um, not physical wrestling internal wrestling <laughs> although yeah. i'm opposed to physical wrestling yeah. that's what we need to do and challenging and uh, you know for me it was uh, a lot of pulling apart of harmful doctrine and going what is the context around this because i just could not grapple with the fact that surely there has got to be another way to look at this like surely there has got to be different context and so i think religious trauma therapy doesn't always look like sitting there talking for me some sessions are sitting there you know with a client and just going like let's research it let's look it up let's look at different things let's pull it apart let's you know if it was completely up to you what would you see it as I remember one of the biggest questions that my therapist asked me was well, if you had your way, what would God look like? Mm. You know, what aspects would they have? What purpose would they serve? All of that sort of characterization stuff. And I remember sitting there going, I have no freaking idea. Like, and so, you know, sometimes I think it is sort of, it's not just challenging, but it's it's looking at things that you would never have looked at before from an angle that you had never seen before um, or mm. even considered. And you've got to meet people where they're at. Yeah. You know, so I think it's where they come in. I see people who are still Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. um, But are just going, I don't know what to do with my anger or I don't know, I don't know how to report this thing that happened to me or I don't know how to talk about this or I've just kind of had the realisation as a woman in my 60s that sexual assault in my teenage years was not okay (laughs) you know and so there's and there's all this yeah all this pain that's gone before but I think it's often also with with trauma it's you know the layers of it are just there are so many layers to it (laughs) you know and so the 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 way that we the, the brain stores memory with traumatic incidents it can come up years after the fact it cannot be that you know sometimes it it's not even it's not even part of the conscious awareness yeah and so there can be so many years in between an event and a memory. And so somebody might come in saying, I'm still a Christian. I still have a relationship with God, but I'm just really trying to reconcile this thing that happened that I've only really just acknowledged happened. Mm-hmm. And how do I process that? What do I do with that? So you, I think it's just meeting people wherever they're at. I had someone come in last week who said, who told me about, you know, exploitation, <laughs> you know, as a volunteer. And they're just told me about this really awful set of circumstances that happened over a prolonged period and then looked at me and went is that legit like am I like is that a a legit reason to be in counseling (laughs) yeah yes yes it is (laughs) so I think it's it's just meeting people where they're at wherever they've come from there's just yeah it's multifaceted yeah and I think I think that legitimacy is really important because there is still very much a narrative um, that this is not a thing. I actually had another therapist try to convince me that religious trauma doesn't exist, that (laughs) that it's just people using the church or people in the church using, you know, doctrine or the Bible or, you know, rituals or traditions to hurt people. And I sort of go, well, that's not quite accurate. You know, it's much, that's a very simplistic way, I think, of looking at it. And and it is still 
happening. I had uh, someone that I used to sort of do a college thing with and, you know, she sort of sort of shared this post only today about how to not let your love of God falter when people hurt you, that that's not God hurting you, that that's people twisting it and hurting you. And I sort of, I couldn't go past that without saying something. I try not to do that sometimes because I sort of go, you know, people need to find that themselves. But I sort of went, you know what, that is a really invalidating way to look at it. It's actually really damaging. I sort of, you know, it has um, actually said it has the air to it of guns don't kill people, people kill people. Mm. And I sort of go, well, sure, there's still a gun there with a bullet um, that is actually doing the the hurting as well. And, I, you know, the guns wouldn't be able to be weaponized if they weren't weapons. So those harmful doctrines and traditions and belief systems and and things like that can't be weaponized if they're not harmful in the first place as well. And, you know, it is often mentioned by very prominent leaders in in the Christian space, sort of going, you know, churches are full of fallen people. And it sort of is used as a bit of a, a cop-out. You know, it's not it's not the church's fault that that people are hurting you. You know, we're not going to take any responsibility for that. So there is still very much this narrative that it's not a thing. So it makes it really difficult for people to be able to get the support that they need around this very, very real and legitimate trauma and grief and pain when the messages that are being received constantly is oh yeah but it's just you know somebody it's just a person hurting you it's Uh, gaslighting (laughs) yeah yeah maybe god's just you and that spiritual bypassing that you mentioned you know maybe god's just using this as a way to teach you something or you know it's all part of god's perfect plan for you and and that sort of narrative whilst uh, you know there is nothing inherently wrong with believing that we don't then use that as an excuse to bypass people's hurt and people's mm. pain and so that- and that toxic positivity yeah. i think is crazy yeah. making as well so yeah. i think the in and that's each not of church, the church specific no but it is characteristic yes of church as an institution generally that um and of course there are exceptions and you and I are not anti-church and we know no, not at all. healthy churches and yeah. healthy denominations that are doing yeah. whatever they can to be safe and accountable. But I think that that sense of spiritual bypassing that doesn't allow for negative emotions, it doesn't allow people to actually sit in their pain and feel it. Yeah. We're always kind of trying to bypass to the, the sunny side and, you know, the positive spin and, oh, but look at it like this and, and it's it's invalidating and yeah, it's absolutely it's, yeah it's it's hurtful because it's do you just saying to people your needs don't matter and that's already communicated to us because we're not allowed to question things and we're not allowed to have needs and there's a sense of disdain and 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 shame attached to actually asking for what you want or what you need or to question something or to have doubts and so it it's really invalidating yeah, yeah. the church is, is in my experience and in, you know, the countless stories that I hold of others <laughs> has not been a safe place for people to be able to say, this is the truth of how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And to be able to just sit in that. This actually makes me think of a really beautiful example. I used to work in the humanitarian space and for a long time I worked for the international arm of the Uniting Church and the way that they partner with their global partners around the world is beautiful it's it was really healing for me to be part of their church for a a long time um, as I was coming out of a very unhealthy experience of church but I remember visiting partners in an Indonesian province once with the president of the Uniting Church and who at that time was was a man beautiful man and I remember this we went to visit one of the projects where there was women telling us about the the trafficking victims that they served. Mm. And so they were telling us just these harrowing stories that were really, really heavy. And when we came back to, you know, the sort of the event we had happening that night beforehand, some of the partners we were with just said, 
I, you know, I found that really overwhelming. Would it be okay if we could come together to pray? And so the, the president um, was there. I was there. There's maybe, you know, 20 other people there. And there was this woman who just started to almost to wail. And she just said, God, where were you when these people were being trafficked? Where were you? Why didn't you protect them? Why did you let this happen? How is this possible? Like the grief and the wailing and the lament that came up was so powerful. But I will never forget the way that he just held that space. He didn't come in and try to sort of go, oh, but God is good all the time, you know, or, you know, like, you trust him yeah. in life, you trust him in death, or any of those other kind of platitudes that try to fix things. Yep. He just let it hang in the air, just let it be there. And it's and a, it was- you know, it's a really great example that it's not simple. It's not, mm. you know, it's not fancy. It's not hard to do. Like it, it's hard to watch at times mm. to see other people in pain. But there's no fancy formula to it. Mm. It's not as though this is something that is complex. Or, or you need, you know, multiple year trainings to be able to do, to just allow people to sit in their pain, mm. sometimes enough. You don't need to say anything. Sometimes be present. Yeah. Be present with it. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other biggest things in terms of not just being in the room, but I guess finding somebody who works in this space, for me it was vital that that person had lived experience in this area. I think there are many, many things that therapists can work with and you don't always need lived experience to work with that. But for me, I didn't want to have to educate my therapist. Mm. I didn't want, I wanted them to already know the harmful doctrine and scriptures that I was talking about. I didn't want to have to sit there and and walk them through it as well. And that's not everybody's need, but I think it's okay to want somebody who has been through it. Obviously, you want them to be trained. We've had many a conversation about this. You also want them to be well-trained because we know that lived experience is not enough. I think it's such a crucial aspect which I think is why it's why the group that we've created has been really great because it's just a bunch of really well-trained great people and great therapists in their own right and this is just a part of their story but it means that they are seeing it through a different lens than somebody who had maybe never have stepped foot in a church before and would not understand Um, Some of the terminology, even just on a really simplistic surface level, some of that terminology that you're talking about. So I think that that's a really important aspect um, for people to feel like it's okay to want to find somebody who has walked that path as well. Absolutely. I think it's time to get to what is generally my favourite part of the episode, which (laughs) is let's smash some myths because I think there is too many out there and we had a bit of a chat beforehand in regards to what we thought this might look like and the instant thing that I I thought of when it came to what do I want um, people to get out of their mindset in terms of this is that any sort of experience with religious trauma or any decision to deconstruct does not have to equal deconversion. Mm. You don't have to leave the church. You don't have to leave your beliefs behind. You don't have to do anything. The point is to explore and yeah. and it doesn't, you know, that black and white thinking, so to speak, you want to allow for the grey. So I think think there is that assumption or that myth that if you are deconstructing that you have walked away or lost Mm. your way, but that's not everybody's experience. There are people like, you know, I think you said it in one of our many emails (laughs) that go back and forth that, you know, you can be a Christian and not go to church and you know there is so it's so much more complex than that it's not a this equals this scenario 
Yeah. And there can be healthy faith spaces. Yeah. Um, there can be people still going to church that are, you know, allowing their beliefs to unravel and it takes a couple of years and maybe they stay and maybe they go. The idea of, of looking at the impact of faith or church, it, it, even even starting there and just being allowed to look at the impact it's had on your life, particularly the older you get or the longer that you've been in it, yeah. is that permission giving is often what allows people the freedom to explore and to question. And yeah. so I think in the in the therapy space, you know, in in the room, in the online room, in my case, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's really about that. Yeah. It's permission to bring whatever it is you need to bring. I don't, you know, I'll meet you where you are. You, you don't have to go from church pastor to atheist. It's it's not about the, the binaries that we're so used to living within yeah. in fundamentalist and conservative churches and belief systems is what I think people still in it assume happens outside of it as well. Yeah. I don't know how many times um one of my former pastors actually made a tweet about it not so long ago. I don't know, but I don't know how many times I have seen people still in it who will say, well, they can't really have known God. Yeah. They can't really have been committed. And I, it's one of the things that has made me just want to scream at times because I could not have been more committed my relationship with God was the most important thing in my life. It informed everything I did. Yeah. It informed, you know, the fact that I didn't have sex before I got married, you know, who I married, the way I dedicated my children to God on the stage, the type of friends I had, the way that I would talk about my faith at every turn, the way that I positioned myself as helper and, you know, saviour of the lost and, you know, my every career, every, I mean, I've had three now, you know, every different thing I have done as a vocation has all been about service. It was everything. It was the entire fabric of my being, which sounds dramatic, but it was my whole identity. Yeah. And so to walk away, it is absolutely devastating. And I think the the way that people come back from it is unique to their story it's unique to them and there is no expectation certainly in the therapy space that they be anything other than you know who they are right now on that journey of whatever that looks like and then if that ends up at atheism and all out you know yeah activist whatever accountability whatever it might be holding the church to account or somewhere in between yeah that's okay yeah. <laughs> there's no expectations and I think it's, you know, it's probably a, an important note to make that this is not just specific to Christianity. Like, mm. you know, deconstruction or religious trauma is not Christian specific. It's just our stories are uh, from a Christian perspective. Um, so it's what we know. But, you know, I've had Mormon clients mm. and, you know, there are a wave of people online who are, um, coming out of Islam or Judaism. And so it is not, yeah, 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 Jehovah's Witness particularly. And um, and so it is not Christian specific. It is just that that's where our stories are. And so it's the language that we naturally speak. And, you know, I don't think either of us claim to speak about other people's experiences in different faiths that we don't that we don't know and we don't understand. But yeah, I think it's important for for people to know this is not just one religion. It's much bigger than that. It's mm. a, I, I think if we were to sort of get more in depth than we already have, I think you know there is a systemic issue that is is much bigger than just religion, organised religion. Mm. There is a systemic and, you know, intersectionality sort of perspective that needs to be taken into account as well. What mm. a great chat. <laughs> I mean, like we sort of said, it's not a, it's not necessarily a fun topic, so to speak, but I think, you know, it's it's good fun talking about it. I think therapy. Oh, there's energy for it. 
yeah, yeah we, we love it and I have energy yeah. for it because I I have it, it's such a tender space for me yeah you know and I just want people to know that they can be free you know and to work towards whatever I can to create the spaces and resources and connections and networks to be able to do that so yeah and I mean <laughs> by the time this probably comes out we will have been knee deep in it but we are about to launch a support group uh, called Reformation for uh, those in Australia and New Zealand, which I think is going to be a really needed space, I think, Mm. with that intention for people to be able to ask questions, to just be that space where their voice can be heard and their voice can be believed and not, you know, invalidated, I think is going to, to be a really wonderful space. Yeah, I think it's it's so terrifying to even just say things out loud sometimes yeah. when you start to doubt and start to question. So, yeah, I'm really um, I'm really looking forward to opening that up. And also, as we've um, we've talked about with the the therapist resource group, you know, to be able to share some of their resources and point people to you know people like Meg McGowan in New Zealand yeah. who's working with you know purity culture and sexual freedom and there's so many fabulous people in that group who whose resources we can share as well and just start to create at a you know Australia New Zealand kind of centric yes. <laughs> platform is that Absolutely. the right word yeah but I don't know space for people <laughs> yeah whatever the term is it's gonna yeah. be great and I mean while we are here I guess you know we have some fun things coming out eventually I've sort of you know we've talked a little bit about our stories uh, today, but I am potentially an insane person and I'm doing two podcasts at once. So that's fun. And it is going to to be a little bit different to this one. I think it's very much going to be around giving people a platform to share their story, to share their experience and not necessarily for that to be you know, a hate fest or anything like that. We certainly don't want it to have that feel. It doesn't even need to have any specifics around, you know, places or events or situations, but it sort of was born out of the concept that to be seen is to be understood. And I think there is power in um, hearing people's stories and for for you to feel seen and for you mm. to feel validated and acknowledged and heard through somebody else's story. And so my dear wife is going to be joining me on that. We'll obviously share more of our story throughout it, um, but we're going to get wonderful people like Jane back again <laughs> <laughs> to um, to share more about their story and And it's going to, I think it's going to be really great. That's, you know, not going to be Australia and New Zealand specific, which means that we are going global, um, which is great because I think that, you know, despite the differences, you know, there are still a lot of similarities as well in terms of experience, in terms of feelings and the way that trauma manifests in people so you've got a course coming out eventually I don't know (laughs) when this is going to be up so I don't know whether it will be out in time but you've got a course in the making you never know yeah hopefully by the end of the year yeah yeah um which is going to be great and I also have a workbook in the making on sort of integrating queerness and faith and that those two things do not need to be mutually exclusive. Very much just, I guess, working on just even reflecting about that. You don't need to come to any sort of decision, but the process of reflection and exploration and curiosity is is sometimes enough. I am very much sitting in the gray in terms of spirituality and I'm okay with that because I think coming from a very rigid conservative church openness and curiosity and exploration are all the things that I were not afforded the luxury of in that space and so I think being able to to have that even if it is a self-paced workbook is going to I hope be very valuable to people. So 
I think yeah. there is exciting things happening on this side of the globe in terms of people and resources and um, places for people to go. I think it's exciting. Yeah, me too. And I think my experience of church also was that anybody doing anything, there's a lot of gatekeeping around yeah. it. You're only allowed to promote the work of the church leaders or the you know, the front person. And so I've always wanted to be intentionally the other way. Yeah. I want to support everyone doing good stuff and share the love. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I agree. And on that note, I think we've talked enough. We have. <laughs> um, but I hope that, I mean, with all of these episodes, I just hope that people land in the rooms, whether they be physical or virtual, that they need to land in with with the people who have the skills, the knowledge and the experience to work with them in, a, in an effective way so that their therapy experience, whether it be their first or their 10th time, is a positive one. Mm. I think that's what I, I, whenever somebody walks through my door, I just want them to feel valued and to feel seen and so I think if we can get more people through the door having positive therapy experiences, that's going to trickle through generations. And all of a sudden, you know, we have generational healing, not just generational. Mm, beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Be wonderful. <laughs> Good to chat. We hope you enjoyed joining us inside the therapy room. Thanks for listening.